Hello and welcome to another episode of the Crazy Waffle Podcast. Today's a very special episode as we talk to Armin Fitz, the creator of Brand New, the uh, blog, the website which I get a lot of my inspiration from, uh, a lot of design news from, and just a lot of content for the videos. It's a fantastic website where you can keep up with the latest in design news. But before we get into the episode, I'd like to promote a few things. First of all, is Crazy Waffle Live 2019. Tickets are now available down in the description. It's only £10 for a great evening for the graphic design talks, learning all about the business side of design, stuff you don't get taught in university. And you can also ask any questions you want to our live panel of designers and illustrators on the live podcast at the end of the night. Once again, the tickets are down in the description, available now on Eventbrite. Crazy Waffle Live 2019, July the 6th. Don't miss out. And you can also get Creative Waffle Pin Bad right now if you leave a review on iTunes, that's a text review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And if you want to help out the podcast, go to the link in the description for design cuts and buy your graphic design resources through that link and it'll also give funds to the podcast. That way I can put more time into it and keep doing everything I do on social media to do with the show. And keep bringing you guys lots of guests and great value. So let's get into the podcast with Armin Witt, the creator of Brand New. During the show, we talk about under consideration, the blog, and the uh, design conference that he runs. We also talk about the financial recession that happened in 2009, how that impacted his life and his family's life, and what you can do and look out for to help prepare yourself for the next one. There's also tons of great graphic design advice for youngsters, uh, new designers, and also continuing designers, and how to review design during this podcast. So I hope you enjoy it. Let's get into the show. And we're going. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So can we talk a bit about your background, uh, how you found design, uh, your childhood, uh, maybe your parents and if they influenced you at all in design and, and how you got into it and uh, Mexico City? Yeah, so the, the main reason I ended up in graphic design was that uh, I was a terrible high school to, student and it just seemed like the path of least resistance that I wouldn't have to learn, memorize things or take Hard exams, um, yeah. and I, you know, I had uh, I had been drawing, you know, the Metallica logo in my notebooks, you know, through all the classes. So I figured that seems fun. Um, yeah, so I just went into it uh, because it seemed like I could get by for the next four years without it being too difficult. Um, but another reason was that my dad, who he, he used to own a business uh, that had nothing to do with anything. He just, he just sold pharmaceutical products, but he was always into computers. Right. And he bought one of the first Macs, uh, like in the early 90s. Um, and it came with like Illustrator 88. Uh, that was what it was called at the time. And we were like, oh, this is cool. Like I can move stuff around and make things. And then uh, he, he had no idea that graphic design existed, but he just started learning about it. And then he was like, oh, this is cool. I'm going to go back to school to study graphic design at 40 years of age. Um, nice. So he would go to school in the mornings, um, then go to work during the day, then go back to school for an evening class, then come home, do homework. Um, and that's also when I got a sense, like, hey, that looks like, you know, again, it looks fun. It doesn't look too hard. Um, so by the time I went into college, we already had like a Mac at home. I had magazines, uh, books. Uh, my dad knew who Pentagram was. Um, so, and at the time, I didn't, I didn't uh, think it was that interesting. I just thought, well, you know, he can do it. I can do it. <laughs> like if he can do it at four years old, I can do it at 20 years old. Um, so yeah, so that's how I ended up uh, in graphic design. So is he, is he a good graphic designer? Does he still do it now? 
No, he doesn't do it anymore. Now he, he really, he's really into photography and play, like doing photo collages and stuff like that. And, and yeah, he has a good eye for it. Um, you know, with graphic design, part of it is that you have to practice and do it a lot. Um, yeah. Because he was still running his, uh, the business to sustain our family, like he didn't have a chance to do it enough. Uh, but yeah, yeah. He, like he was like a conceptual uh, kind of designer that he really thought about things and tried to come up with a concept and then just execution it wasn't right there because he just didn't have enough practice but yeah he's always had a good eye for it that's cool that's cool do you think that's where your work ethic comes from like because obviously going back to school at 40 that's quite a it's quite a bold move so is, is that where you get your work ethic from yeah, and I think, uh, you know, the time, again, because as I mentioned, like, I was such a bad high school student. I was lazy. I didn't care. You know, if it wasn't uh, watching wrestling or the NBA or playing video games, I didn't care enough about anything. So no one, not even myself, uh, like I didn't expect to have a good work ethic like I do now. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think now I can literally pinpoint it to my dad's work ethic and seeing all that he did, uh, you know, work what, even without going into school, um, just the amount of work, time that he put into the work and how, uh, like, he has, like, the strongest willpower of anyone I've ever met. So, you know, part of it is that, you know, like, when he said, I'm, you know, I'm going to go on a diet and lose 30 pounds, and he's just like, he'll do it. Like, there was no question he was not going to do it. Um, so, yeah, a little bit comes from that and, um, uh, and also finding something that I cared about and that I was uh, interested in. I think that really transformed, that kind of like triggered it in a way. Uh, that right, I, ca I care about this and I'm getting results and people seem to enjoy it as well. So you know, you just, uh, it, it allows you to um, work a little bit harder when you think like maybe I should just watch TV instead. Um. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I got that. I've got to kind of switch out my brain sometimes. <laughs> so yep. just click on and off. Um, so what, moving over to the US, how did that come about and why, why did you decide to move over to the US? Um, so I met my wife. At, at the time, she was my girlfriend. We met in Mexico. Uh, so also I looked to backtrack a little bit. I, uh, I went to school in Mexico City, like a four-year uh, education in graphic design. My wife uh, girlfriend at the time she was going to another college also for graphic design and we met through mutual friends at a nightclub one day and then it turned out that we lived five minutes from each other and that we were both studying graphic design so um and she was cute so love at first sight uh, <laughs> and then a year into us being together she she said she decided that she really hated her college and that she wanted to go study in the u.s um, and then because she had been my only girlfriend ever, <laughs> I thought, well, I'll just stick with her and see what happens. Um, so she, I still had a year left of college, so I made sure to finish. And then she went to study at Portfolio Center in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and this was 1999. Um, yeah, 99. So it was like right at the dot-com, like the, the original dot-com era. And they were just handing out jobs to anyone that could open Photoshop and, you know, the new Flash or Dreamweaver. It was like a, you know, a big deal. And I knew how to open Photoshop and you had to use Flash and you had to uh, do Dreamweaver. So I got a job at a large internet consultancy in Atlanta. Like, you know, I went to an interview, you know, I was there for 30 minutes. I was uh, offered the job on the spot, which nowadays is unheard of. It's really yeah. rare for something to go like that. 
um, and they said like we'll we'll take care of your visa uh, go back home enjoy three months and you know we'll see you back here in three months and uh, three months later my visa was taken care of and yeah I just showed up for work it was uh, it was really uh, kind of like weird and especially now like seeing how difficult it is for one people to get jobs and two from people outside of the US to get a job in the US it's impossible mm -hmm. nowadays um, so you know, now I look at it like, oh my God, I was lucky. I mean, sure, I had some sort of talent um, that was perhaps uh, potential that perhaps was visible in my portfolio that, you know, someone did take a chance on me. But yeah, I, I still think it was like being in the right place at the right time um, and just sort of going with it. Um, so yeah, that's how I ended up in the US. So what did your parents think of that? Because I, if it was me, I mean, my parents are going crazy. You're running away with this girl to America. What are you doing? Yeah, it was a little bit of that. But uh, I think at the same time, they just saw that it was a good opportunity for me. And I think they, they especially my dad realized that graphic design in Mexico just wasn't what it could be, what, what, like what he saw in magazines. Like he, you know, he used to uh, subscribe to communication arts and he would see like, they would often feature like the, the offices of cool design firms and be, he'd be like, oh, I, I would love for my son to be in one of those places. Uh, so yeah, no, they saw it, but yeah, I, I, they were also sad that, you know, their young son was moving to America and yeah, it was a little bit weird at the beginning. I think at first they also thought that uh, we might come back. Um, right. But after kind of like two, three years in, we just thought like, there's no reason to go back to Mexico. I mean, other than family, friends and food, <laughs> uh, because the food in Mexico is just amazing. Uh, there was like no reason to go there uh, back, especially professionally. It just didn't make sense. Yeah. What, what as a proper Mexican, what do you think of like Taco Bell and uh, like, what's the other, what's the other one? What's the burrito place? I can't remember. What's that burrito place in America you got over there? I can't remember what it's called. Um, well, we have a bunch. I mean, there's one called Chipotle. Chipotle, that's uh, the one. Yeah. yeah. What do you think of, what do you think of those two? <laughs> you know, Taco Bell, I've never... I've never, I will never give them my money <laughs> because <laughs> looking at the pictures or looking at the, you know, you see an actual Taco Bell product, it's just crap. Uh, so it's, I mean, I think it exists for a reason, just like there's bad Chinese uh, places, there's bad Italian places, uh, like just like that. So yeah, once you taste the original, like once you have tacos from a street uh, vendor in Mexico, nothing will ever compare. So you just kind of like come, you come to grips that you'll never have that <laughs> again, and you try to find something that's remotely close. Um, so every now and then you'll find someone that is from Mexico and is making tacos in the U.S. as good as they can with the ingredients that they can find here. But yeah, Taco Bell sucks. <laughs> I've never been, so I can't say. But uh, I guess <laughs> you're I not guess, missing anything. <laughs> uh, I guess it sort of compares to logo design as well. You can you could compare that to Fiverr, and like, if people find out they've got a proper professional designer, they can and they see Fiverr, you know, sort of yeah. see the difference. Uh, so when did well, I mean, on, the, on the Logo Geek podcast with Ian, my friend Ian, he you talks a lot about Pentagram and how you got that job and the uh, conference that you do. Um, also how you write design as well, how you, how you write about it and review it. And I remember being at college, having to write pages and pages about my own work and, uh, and reviewing work. And I wanted to ask you that, but I mean, Ian's, Ian's asked you most of it. So I'll only touch on, try and touch on the bits that, um, that you haven't talked about. But uh, with re reviewing design, uh, what are you actually thinking whilst you're reviewing it and how do people review their work in a better way? 
Well, I think um, I, I really have a hard time explaining how I review design because it's really, it's really, it comes down to uh, what my reaction is. And it's really, it's based on, and one thing that I'll say is that I don't think my reviews are right or wrong. I think everyone has their own way of looking at things and figuring out what is important and relevant to them and how they judge things. So anything I can do is based on my own preconceptions on things that I think are right and things that I think are wrong. So it's really just about, uh, I mean, in, I think in theory, maybe I have some good taste that people agree with. Um, so there's a little bit of that, but I think it comes down to just being trying to be critical in an objective way as much as possible and not saying, you know, well, I don't like, uh, like in general, I don't like blue. So any logo that is blue is going to be wrong. Um, not that there's like you love blue clearly with your deer and your, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of blue back there. Um, no, but I think it's, uh, it's really about trying to find logical explanations for what, for what you're reacting to. Um, I think when you try to apply it to your own work, you just have to be very self-critical and say, you know, compare your work against the work of others that you respect and admire and, and really think like, is this as good as that in terms of uh, the type choices, the color choices, the way that it's built. Um, and then just trying to formulate those thoughts in a way that makes sense without getting too technical or too jargony, just saying like, hey, something looks, something, you know, this logo makes me happy. Why is that? This logo makes me sad. Why is that? This logo reminds me of something bad. Uh, why is that? Just like try to, it's about trying to make those connections that other people can um, sort of relate to and say, oh, I, I, I see that connection or I see why he thinks something is not right or wrong. So yeah, it's, I, I, as I mentioned, it's, a really, it's really hard to explain, uh, but that's sort of the process that's going on uh, in my head. Yeah, I mean, when you're talking to a client as well, you have to, be keep, have to keep it quite simple as well when you're reviewing your, your work to a and talking to a client about the work and if they give you feedback they're not going to be talking in sort of these graphic design terms and jargon words um so what sort of stuff would you if, if you're reviewing your own work would you talk about your structure and and the sort of functionality of it in your own head and then and then talk about it uh, in layman's terms to, to the client or how, how would you go about it with a client I think with a client, it's really like they don't care. You know, if you choose a certain, if you choose Helvetica, say, they don't care that it's Swiss. They don't care that it was designed in the 1950s. They don't care that there's a movie about Helvetica. But if you tell them that it's a font that is functional, that doesn't have, um, there's not too fun, it's not too sad, it's, not, it's a little bit corporate. So if you're able to say this font or this color will trigger certain reactions or certain associations for your clients or your customers, um, I think that's the way to go. That's what we try to do, just say like, hey, we chose this font or we chose this color because we think that will create a certain association to your product in this kind of way. Right. Um, so it really, it always comes back to how does this choice benefit, relate to your product or your service or whatever it is and how are your customers going to uh, per perceive that um, so it really comes down to just understanding who the client is and who the client's clients are and just trying to bridge those things um, well at the same time trying to do cool things uh, 
you know, every, every now and then there will be a very, there will be a font that is just like perfect made for them. That was, you know, either, uh, either, you know, whatever, a restaurant in, in, you know, Paris or something. And you find the font designed by someone in Paris that has an office next to the restaurant. Uh, it's just like, you know, those little stories can also go a long way in creating a connection with something that's really hard for clients. Like a lot of clients have a really hard time grasping design choices. So anything that you give them that they can sort of connect to, that's, uh, that goes a long way. Yeah, absolutely. The story, yeah, like you said, it's just the story behind the branding. It's, um, yeah, it can be really powerful if, if you actually find something that's useful. Uh, mm -hmm. so, so with Pentagram, how did you, how do you review work there? Is it similar to what you're saying now? How did we what? How did we how review for? Yeah, how did you review work there? Is it similar to what you just explained, or is it slightly more harsh? Yeah, I mean, it was fairly straightforward. It was surprisingly straightforward um, in that, and like this sounds uh, kind of like a very simple or maybe evasive answer, but we just did the work. Um, a lot of it came from like I work with Michael Beirut directly, so a lot of it just came like we would be at a first meeting with a client. And from the very, like in that meeting, he would always, he would usually sketch out something that one way or another would end up being the final logo or whatever. And then he, like he didn't uh, fuss about it or didn't make a big deal about it. He would, be, he would just be like, hey, what about this? And it would be like a weird scribble. Uh, but somehow we were able to just translate that into the work. And uh, what I think, I always find it fascinating how he was able to, uh, just from like one hour sitting down with a client, like he would sort of get the essence of what, what they needed. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it comes down to listening. Uh, he was a really good listener. And then also he has, you know, four years experience. So he's able to draw on that quite easily. So, you know, we didn't have like, uh, crit, like crit, um, you know, review sessions or anything. We just like, did it and it sort of came out um, so it was kind of refreshing that and there are other design firms that work differently where it's more about the exploration and sitting down and brainstorming and that's all great um, but you know we didn't work like that and nowadays here you know um, me and my partner we don't work like that either so I think it's just a matter of finding things that work for each designer and you know you you can't figure that out until you experience different uh, places to work at. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So it's a bit like just, just keeping with the flow and just letting it go and just really, really being just free with it. That's cool. That's a good way of working on it. Um, so in 2007, you set up your own company and uh, you, you talked, it's been another TED talk about 2008, 2009. It sort of the clients dried up because of the, the recession and all the financial problems in the world. Um, what, apparently there's going to be another one coming. <laughs> what sort of happened back then that you're going to look out for this time? Or is there anything that you, you're going to that happened then that's going to prepare you better? Yeah, no, definitely. So um, like a couple of years ago, uh, we moved, uh, we were in Austin, Texas. Um, so Austin, and we lived there for nine years and it's a great city. It's fun. There's great Mexican food. Um, but you know, then our current president came into power, um, Mr. Donald Trump, and like we freaked out. We were like, this guy is just going to ruin the, the economy. He's going to ruin culture. And we literally had a moment of, if that happens, 
we're going to find ourselves again in a place like we did back in 2009. Um, and we just don't want to go through, you know, at the time, um, it was just kind of scary because we literally had no clients. We, we didn't have the conference yet. Um, but again, kind of like that hardship is what led us to establish the conference. So it was kind of like a silver lining to it, uh, you know, blessing in disguise. Um, but yeah, so when, when we saw that, you know, a couple of years ago that, we, that the same thing could happen, we were like, all right, let's be proactive. And we moved to a tiny little town in the state of Indiana that, you know, we can get, we, we spend half the money that we used to spend in Austin just in terms of our house, in terms of gas, stuff like that. So we just thought, let's set ourselves up so that we don't have to go through that again. Uh, because if the economy goes down, um, one of the first things that go away are luxuries and the conference is a luxury uh, for most designers. So if we cannot have, if people don't go to the conference, we don't have, we lose our main source of livelihood and revenue. So we just sort of prepared for it that, you know, in case that happens, at least we're in a spot in a place where the financial stress is not as high as it would be if we stayed in Austin. Um, yeah. So yeah, so that was kind of like a, a lesson, you know, we, we live through it and we don't want to go through it again, or if, or if we go through it again, at least it's not going to be as bad. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, not going for whatever reason, the economy is great. Uh, we're spending half of the money that we used to spend, and the conference is going good. So for now, you know, you're doing all right then. Yeah, for now we're doing fine. Yeah, so um, we'll see how that keeps going. <laughs> so, so other people looking out for this this thing that's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen, obviously, but um, it, it's probably going to happen soon. Uh, the, the financial people keep saying. Uh, what, what should what should people look out for? How, how can you tell? Like what happened last time? Because I wasn't, I didn't really know. So what, what happened last time? Yeah. That you can sort of tell that it was coming. For us, what happened was we. So we used to have, or we still have on, like on brand new the blog. We have uh, banner advertising, and immediately that was the one of the first things that we lost. Uh, where companies were like, well, we're not spending any money on online advertising until we see what happens. Um, then clients that we used to have with like small, you know, ongoing projects were like, well, we're not doing anything. We're going to hold on on doing anything for a while until we see what happens. So when I think when clients start put, putting things on pause mm. and they're like, let us see how, how things are going to shake out, that process can extend for two years. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what happened to us that, you know, it started in 2008. And clients were like, well, you know, let's see what happens in 2009. And then they did nothing in 2009 because that's when the shit really hit, you know, when it got really bad. And then it takes them a whole year to like pick things up again. So it wasn't until 2012, maybe, that we started seeing online banners come back again. So I think the signs are just when people are hesitant to spend money on, especially on design, because design at the end of the day, you know, I, I do this for a living, but I'll also say this, that you, most clients can survive without design for a long time. Um, so it's, it, it does become a luxury that they can afford <clears throat> to not invest in. Uh, so when things are going bad, you know, they'll, they'll stop doing that. Um, so yeah, it's just a, and then you start hearing stories from other designer, from other designers. They're like, yeah, we're slow. Um, 
and then you hear from another one like yeah things are slowing down like that that's really scary because most designers work a lot designers really like to work and they always have a project going on so mm. when things are going slow something's wrong um because it's not that people don't want that designers don't want to do the work it's just that work is not coming and what should designers do when that happens should they do more personal projects like you did or should they actually go and find the clients and seek the ones that are willing to pay or what's going on yeah, i think it's uh, i think it's an opportunity to try different models of making money which is what happened to us we were okay we don't have clients um we have to figure out another way of making money so we you know we were sort of not lucky but we we had brand new the blog which had by that point it had grown a lot so it was a matter of looking at that audience that we had built and trying to figure out how can we how how can we survive based on this audience um, that enjoys what we do that enjoys the topic that we cover um yeah we just made that work uh, we also did uh we self-published the book about how to make uh, your portfolio um so in the period of that time when so many people were getting laid off uh, they had time to build a portfolio so it proved to be a good thing to put out at the time and we still like we still sell that book um, um, and it created a source of revenue that we've had for you know eight nine years now yeah. um so yeah it's i think it's instead of like crying yourself to sleep and you can still cry yourself to sleep i think i think there's something therapeutic about it but rather than just doing that i think just using your free time to figure out something else that you can that you might be able to do and investing a little bit of money into something that may eventually um work out um so yeah i think it forces you to be a little bit more creative with uh with the skills that you have and the connections that you have with vendors and things like that so you know it, it can be bad and it can be sad but it's also an opportunity to force yourself to do something else yeah absolutely that's silver lining yeah that's good mm -hmm. uh, that's going to help someone out there i like that that's good advice uh so with the personal projects and, and the blog especially how have you turned this into a money-making thing if you because obviously the audience they just come all at once or how like how do you advertise the blog and how did you get it out to people? Um, when we first started, like the very first blog that we did in 2003, uh, it was called Speak Up. It was just a general graphic design blog. It was the first graphic design blog. And I don't say that, that, oh, we were the first, we were the best. It was just, there was nothing else. Um, not, no one had done it before. So, um, and no one at the time, like no one knew who it was. There was no reason for anyone to know who I was. So what I did was uh, I would write content and then I would um, painfully email, you know, 20, 30 people at a time that I respected and say, hey, I wrote this, come look at it. Um, and there was no Facebook, there was no Twitter, there was no Instagram. So I would email people like Steve Heller, the writer, Rick Pointer, Michael Beirut, Paula Sher, and just said like, hey, you don't know me, but I wrote this and maybe you'll enjoy it. Um, and then, you know, little by little doing that, then they started telling their friends, their friends started telling their friends. And then next thing you know, we have an audience that, um, that is enjoying uh, the things that we write. And you know, it took us, um, and even at the beginning, we never saw it as a, as a thing that we would make money from. Uh, it was, I think it took us like seven years to have our first banner on SpeakUp. Um, but then when we opened brand new, and that was 2006. It took us like a couple, 
two, three years to really grow it. And then once it was big, then it was a little bit easier to uh, monetize through banners. Um, and then I think it all came down to just, you're always, I've always been pushing the content to platforms that are bigger than us. So, you know, at the time it was AIGA or some other, you know, I magazine. Um, and now that, you know, now it would be like you, you know, if you were starting a blog, you would send it out to It's Nice That or Creative Review or any of those sites that they have a big audience that if you do something interesting, they'll help you amplify what you're doing. So it really is all about always kind of like aiming for something bigger than you that to amplify your content. So like nowadays, if I wanted to, because now we're pretty big, so we have, we sort of don't need that, but every now and then I'll be like, oh, I really want a bigger audience to read something on brand new. So I would have to reach, you know, something like Wired or Fast Company or even Vanity Fair, things like that, that have a bigger audience. And it's hard, you know, it, it remains as hard now as it was then, because you're always, um, you're always having to sell um, your content and why it matters and why they should devote their space to you. So um, it's always about just trying to find the, you know, how, trying to find how your content provides value to someone else by them sharing it. So um, it's just like a constant evolution of how do you convey that message? Right. So, so if it's getting other people to the bigger people to come onto your, or your podcast, like I'm doing, or if you're, if you're asking them to share it around, so you, so what you, what you're writing in the email is how it will affect them, how it make their lives better sort of thing, how, how it will impact their lives or sort of value they're giving. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit like, you know, just saying, hey, one, you're helping someone young and that's starting out and doesn't that feel good? And two, hey, I'm here. I'm I'm giving you content to share that will be of value that I think will be of value to your readers. Um, Okay. And, you know, and sometimes you might be like, hey, I'm giving you an exclusive first or I'm, you know, letting you uh, post this first before I send it to others. Um, and whether that's true or not, you know, that's up to you. Um, but I think it, and I've done that before. We'll be like, hey, you know, I'm going to be writing this um, about this. And then, you know, you get a heads up and then you can post it first. Um, and same thing, I get that often where designers will send me the work first before they send it to other publications. Um, so, yeah, it's just a little bit of a, kind of like a two-way street of, adding giving value to each other to each party involved mm. and, and the, the thing is with your work you don't do much uh, actual cl- client work anymore do you that's what i read online anyway is that true yeah no we do um we'll take on one client at a time and mm. you know it might take three six months to kind of like finish that project and part of it is because we're small i mean it's just me and my wife um we have two kids, uh, so we you know, we don't have a lot of time. Uh, we don't have, and a lot of our energy is spent on brand new, on the brand new conference, um, just the running of the business too. So we're not able to take on that much client work. Um, but yeah, I mean, in the last <clears throat> in the last uh, year or two, we've sort of picked up the pace on how much client work we're doing. Um, so hopefully, you know, we'll we'll try to do a little bit more in the coming years. So it's fun because it's uh, it gives you a different challenge. Mm. Um, like when, when we were in Austin, uh, 
for those eight, nine years, we focused so much on the conference and kind of like building that out and figuring out how it works. And now that we have figured that out, um, we're, we're sort of able to take what, what we learned from that and apply it to clients. Um, and also, you know, now we're, you know, I'm, I'm not super old, I'm 40 years old, but that gives me more confidence of uh, talking to clients um, that I didn't have before. Like before I would walk into a room with a client and be like, oh, hi, sir, sir what, can I, what can I do for you, sir? Would you like your logo in serif or sans serif? Because um, <laughs> now, you know, I walk in like, this is your logo, it's going to be sans serif, it's going to be blue, you're going to love it. Um, <laughs> not like that, but like, you know, there's more, I have more confidence in how I talk to clients and how we relate and how the value that we bring to clients. So I think that has, you know, the sort of the eight, nine years that we didn't do a lot of client work helped uh, kind of like solidify what we stand for and right. how we can relate to clients better. Do the clients come to you because of the brand new stuff and because you've got this massive, you know, that you can clearly, you can clearly, you clearly know about design, you clearly can review it and you clearly, you can, you clearly got the understanding for it. You know, it's funny because, um, again, like going back to our time in Austin, in those eight, nine years, there was only one single corporate client that said, hey, I read brand new. Mm -hmm. I like how you write about design. Design our identity. Um, that was the only time where that was, there was like a direct relationship uh, between brand new and a, and a client job. Mm -hmm. um, nowadays, it's a Nowadays, it's easier for me to say, hey, you know, we want to design your, we would like to be considered to design your identity. Um, we are experts in identity design because I've been writing about logos for 12 years now. Um, so I think it, it, does, it carries weight, uh, a lot of weight now, and I think it does help uh, um, clients say, oh, you know, this guy knows what he's talking about. You know, something good might come out of this. Um, so yeah, I, th I think there there is a benefit now more than before. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Um, what do you think of design trends, like logo design? I, trends? I love design trends. <laughs> I think it's uh, you know when I think they they get a bad rap because yes, it's a trend and then everybody starts doing it. But it, it's really fun to see something start and when you see something start and then escalate and then everybody's doing it like there's a one point right before it blows up that is really fun and it's just like uh where people are starting to push 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 and then they put you know it reaches the limit and then it starts to getting getting watered down but i think there's a a point where it becomes really exciting uh, you know like uh i think the chobani redesigned the greek yogurt U.S. brand, I think, where they, that they took the chunky, blobby serif trend, and kind of like it went to the max. Like that was the the maximum point. It was great, and then things are starting to look like they're mimicking that. But there's uh, the build up to that is really interesting. Um, so yeah, I think uh, you know, I think you're allowed to do one project that follows the trend, <laughs> and then you move on. Um, yeah. Because I think I think there's. Um, there's something that clients uh, react to. It makes them feel safe that they're doing something that other people are doing. Um, that you know, it may not be pushing anyone forward, but I think it's it sometimes makes business sense to do it, and it makes creative sense in that. Hey, you know, if uh, three of my competitors are doing something and they're succeeding, 
I'm going to go through that for a little bit and see what happens. So, um, mm. yeah, I think I, I wouldn't be too, um, I don't think you can dismiss them so easily. Um, and again, like, you know, two, three years after a trend, you're like, all right, let's move on. Uh, but for, for a little bit, for, for a small, for a brief window, they're pretty fun. Is there any trends we're going for at the moment or anything you, you see? Because, I, I mean, I firstly, before you answer that, is it's 2019 design trends. When people put videos out or like blogs, but a list out of what's going to happen this year, I, they're always sort of really floaty and really vague answers. I can't, I can never, I can never really understand why people do that because it's, it's not, they're sort of trying to start a trend rather than, or, or they're like, they're saying like overlapping images, but everyone's been doing that for ages. Like that's, that's not yeah. a trend. That's something that happens in design. It's more of a function. Yeah, like you can't, uh, you can't uh, sort of foresee a trend. You know, uh, they just happen and they happen because someone did something interesting and then someone did something like that. Someone else did something like that. So it's really, uh, you know, it's just a matter of, what was the question? <laughs> I forgot what like, the question was. Uh, yeah, no, I just, um, I don't know really. It's just sort of just talking about logo design trends and yeah. how that these blogs uh, are just uh, are literally trying to predict them, even though they're not really they're not really available. I mean, are we going yeah. for new trends at the moment? That was the question. <laughs> yeah, no, so um, you know, like right now, I think we're still on the um, kind of like rounded rounded sense uh, rounded serif, uh, chunky, oh. spiky kind of thing for um, corporations. But what's interesting is that we're still seeing a lot of the geometric sense. Uh, minimalism um, and I'm surprised that that has been going on for that has that has lasted for such a long time um, in a way it makes sense because it's such a it's hard to argue against it it's simple it's straightforward it, allow, it allows you to do other things but I think the kind of like the approach that it that uh, Airbnb and Google took like it's being applied over and over and over and over again um, so I think that kind of like has worn out its welcome and I think it's time to move on to more expressive things uh, because if you look at like the old logos they're all like crazy and weird and fun and um you know I've, i'm hoping or i'm thinking that in two three years we'll go back a little bit to that where both companies and designers will be like oh you know what we messed up like we took away too much of the fun out of things and now we should go back and add a little bit so maybe we'll start seeing a little bit more crazier logos at the higher uh, end of the spectrum in terms of like uh, large client size, so but well, who knows? You know, I might be wrong. No, hopefully, hopefully, because it's like you said, they're trying. They're all sort of merging into one at the moment. They're all becoming becoming very similar. If you put them next to each other, they're uh, they're all the same similar fonts, and, and yeah, execution is yeah. quite similar. Quite a lot of white space, and but yeah, it's it's hopefully hopefully it's uh, the color comes out, but the execution stays high. That's the idea. Uh, so, what do you think the best rebrand of twenty eighteen was? Um, I thought the Lufthansa redesign was really nice in that it was just such a nice, like very precise and engineered solution. Um, then I, the one that I posted on our best of lists was just uh, the identity for the West Coast of uh, Tasmania. Um, yeah, I think Tasmania, which is like weird and funky. And, you know, I think a hundred people will go there and see it in action but i just thought it was like a really fantastic fun just like no holds barred yeah uh great graphic expression and i think that it goes back to the idea of that you know we're taking too much fun out of uh 
graphic design and that just it was pure fun it was great to look at maybe it wasn't perfect or great but it just had energy and charisma and personality um so yeah things like that uh, so those are two like really distinct examples um one was super corporate the other one was super uh, expressive and i think that's what's great about graphic design is that you can have both as long as it's right for the client absolutely yeah and that's why i love city branding because it's it can be more expressive and it's more and entertaining and energetic uh, the um mm-hmm. auto one springs to mind that was always that was always really nice how they used the different tiles and um mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's always been one of my favorite. It always sticks in my head. Um, but so, okay, so the last, last typical last three questions I ask everyone. First of all, what's uh, your best advice to creatives? Um, the best advice, um, oh, well, I don't know if it's the best, but one advice that I like to give is that, uh, you know, don't be afraid to copy something. And I'm, I'm not saying steal something, but look at what someone did that you appreciate it and figure out ways that you can transform that into something of your own. Like, don't be afraid of, uh, fall. And maybe it goes back to the, the question about trends, but I think there's something about learning from others and trying to pick what makes a certain project good. Um, and it might be a typeface choice. It might be a sizing relationship between something. It might be a color palette mm-hmm. that when you take it and you apply it to your own project, it's going to come out, different but i think uh building on the design work that others are creating i think that um that yields some interesting uh possibilities that you know if you're you're always trying to be like i have to be original i have to be original everything has to be new like that that that's too much pressure and it's just it's really really hard um it can be done but um those are uh, those occasions are rare so kind of like freeing yourself from that pressure and just saying right well you know, I like that font choice or that color palette. How can I apply that in a different way? Nice. That's good advice. I like that. Uh, what's your best purchase under $100? Um, of anything or design related? No, anything. anything. I mean, you've got a lot of books behind you. I mean, it could be anything though. <laughs> oh, man, that's a uh, difficult question. What is the best thing that I bought recently? Um, I think the... Um, AeroPress coffee thing. Have you ever? No, what's that? <laughs> so there's a, there, it's like a little uh, French press kind of thing for making coffee, like you know, making one cup of coffee. But it makes really good coffee, and it's just quick. And you have to do it by hand, and you have to press it, and you have to grind your own uh, coffee beans. So you know, instead of like pressing buttons, there, there's something nice about it. And uh, there's a whole, uh, uh, there's like global championships to see who can make the best cup of coffee isn't this really basic mechanism. Yes, and it's all about, it's all about the, you know, the temperature of the water to how much water you put at first, how much water you put in the cup. So this is kind of like a, a fun little thing that takes something as mundane as making coffee um, and you can actually be creative with it. That's fun. Yeah, so it's a bit of manual into your life as well rather than just, like you say, buttons. That's quite interesting. Yeah. That's quite interesting, a cup of coffee. Um, so, what, what, how do you want to be remembered? Uh, yeah, that's the next question. <laughs> question. How, I guess as someone that made something for other designers to sort of embrace design and love what we do. Uh, <clears throat> and just, yeah, I think uh, with a conference and we're brand new, it's really about celebrating design and enjoying what we do. 
and not making it more than it is. Like, you know, sometimes we try to assign way too much importance to what we do as if we were surgeons or politicians. And it's not, you know, we're like choosing fonts and choosing colors and making things. So I think it's, uh, um, you know, if someone says like, hey, that guy really, you know, helped us celebrate that, I think that would be a good way to go. Nice one. No, that's awesome. Uh, where can people find you? Say hello and, and read the blog and uh, say hello on social media. Yeah, uh, underconsideration.com. That takes you to brand new uh, social media where the, you know, either uh, Instagram and Twitter, UCLLC or Armin Vit all together. Um, I don't always reply on social media, but email. I always reply to emails. I'm really good at email. Awesome. Our email is on the way. Awesome. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, my pleasure too. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Creative Waffle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, please do leave us a review and any feedback is much appreciated and really does help push the podcast up in the uh, design rankings. Feel free to share it on social media, get other people listening. That'd be fantastic. And most importantly, have a great day. I'll see you in the next episode.